morning. My name is Tim Pietrogallo. Pietro Gallo, big long Italian last name. And this is my wife, Amy. Uh, we're thrilled to be here this morning. Before I begin my talk, I just wanted to share with you a connection that I have with your church and your denomination. Um, many, many years ago, when I was a college student at Western Michigan University, back before the earth cooled, I was a student at Western. I had been raised in the church, but I was not following Christ at that time. And I ran into a bunch of college students who attended this strange place called His House Christian Fellowship. And so they invited me in, accepted me, loved on me, and eventually through my encounter with His House, I recommitted my life to Christ, and literally, my life hasn't been the same ever since. So today is kind of like full circle for me, even though you don't know me, uh, because I would not be here as a pastor had I not benefited from the ministry of His House Christian Fellowship. And I see that you guys, you guys support them. So I want to say thank you. Thank you. And on behalf of the thousands of college students all over Michigan whose lives also have been touched by his house, thank you. Thank you. And so I'm in, a, I'm in debt to you. And so I hope that uh, through our time together this morning, you might receive some kind of spiritual blessing from me. We'll see about that. So... Um, we're really happy to be here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Psalm 8. Psalm 8, we've already had it beautifully read to us in the opening worship there. And I also have handouts I brought for you, so you can kind of follow along with my thinking. And on the back of that handout is extra credit. I always give uh, homework. For people. So that's kind of your homework to uh, do some further study into this beautiful Psalm of David, Psalm 8. So, according to the superscription, that's the little words above the Psalm, it says that this is a Psalm of David. And you can well imagine that David, who was a shepherd boy, who spent night after night after night out in the wild, in the open, with the night sky, with no light pollution like we have, to hinder his view of the heavens. It's not hard to imagine that David, having contemplated the heavens, sat down and wrote this poem. And there's something about looking up at the stars... And just being blown away, which makes you ask the big questions in life. That makes you think about God and who he is and about creation and about our place in creation. And so it is with Psalm 8. David, having contemplated the majesty of our great creator king, 
and the glory of the heavens asks a deep, deep question. He asks, what is man? What are human beings? And when I say man today, just so you know, by that I mean mankind, humankind, human beings, male and female. What, what are humans that, that God would care about us? What are we that, that God has anything to do with us? I mean, to God, we must be like ants. So those are the big questions that we ask. And verse 4 in Psalm 8 asks that question. What is mankind that you are mindful of him, of us? What are human beings that you care about us? And so another thing I want to point out today is, this is kind of obvious, but Psalm 8 is a poem, right? It's a poem uh, of, of David. Like all the Psalms, it's, it's, it's written as Hebrew poetry. And how do you read poetry? You read it differently, don't you, than just any other kind of text. So we need to read this like poetry. And in Hebrew poetry... The structure of how the author structures the poem is every bit as important as the content of the poem. Okay? So I want you to see that. And and just to point this out, perhaps you've already noticed this. Look at verse 1. It says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then look at verse 9. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see what the author is doing here. David is using a literary device called an inclusio. Now that's a really fancy word I learned in seminary. That really means that this psalm is structured like a sandwich. And that's why I have this up here. You may have wondered why this is. This is just my water. But... Here's two slices of bread. This is verse 1. This is verse 9. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then you have, I brought bologna because I like bologna. And then you have the content that's in the slices, right? Verses 2 through 8. That's the content. And then smack dab in the very center of the poem, my hands are getting kind of greasy from this baloney, but in the very center of the poem is the question, verse 4. Do you see what the author's doing? You see, it's not just what he says that matters, it's how he says it. So I'm going to structure this sandwich just like this. The cheese... The question, chapter or verse 4, is going to go right in the middle. And then we're going to top it with, well, let's put some mustard on it. I like mustard, just so you know. You know, we've got to have the meat, the cheese, and the condiments. There you go. 
Now, I thought ahead a little bit because I knew I didn't want get it. I didn't want to get grease on my Bible. That's the structure of Psalm A. Now, if you take away the bread, what do you have? You can answer me. It's a real question. A pile of meat and cheese and condiments, right? What if I take the meat and the cheese and the condiments out and I just have the bread? Just bread. And so David, the psalmist, wants us to savor these layers together and to see how these layers interrelate. And so that's what we want to do as we look at this psalm together. So let's dive in and see what the Lord has for us in Psalm chapter 8. The first half of this psalm is looking up. David is looking up to the heavens. He's looking up to the the starry host. And he's looking beyond that to the glory of God in creation. And in the... In the Old Testament, you are often what your name is. Have you ever noticed that in Scripture? For example, Jacob in Genesis. Jacob means he deceives. And then he has this wrestling match with God, and then God changes his name to Israel. And that means he wrestles with God. In the Old Testament, you are what your name is. And so it is here in verse 1. Look at verse 1. Our God is the Lord. Now notice that that in your Bible is all capital letters. Do you see that? The first Lord says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now when you see that, that means that the translator is translating the Hebrew word Yahweh. Yahweh. This is the name of our God. The personal name of our God. This is the name that he had given to Moses at the burning bush for all his people to call him by. People who know him and he knows them. What's in a name? In this name, this is the covenant-keeping, eternal God who is faithful to keep his promises, God. Promises like, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's all packed into the Hebrew name, Yahweh. And then notice the second part, the second name there. Lord, our Lord. Notice that that is capital L and then small O-R-D. Do you see that? That is the translator's way of telling us that this is the Hebrew word Adonai. Adonai. Adonai means master, lord. It's how someone in the Old Testament would address the king. This is a kingly word. It's A word they would use of one who is sovereign. And so in this, David addresses 
the attributes of God's divine sovereignty and kingship. And if we could say, if we could kind of over-translate this, it would be like, Yahweh, Lord, our covenant-keeping, promise-keeping, ever-loving, eternal God, our Lord, our King, how majestic is your name, is your name in all the earth. Let's talk about majestic. The name of the Lord is majestic. We use the term majestic or majesty when we talk about mountains. When we talk about the roaring seas, they're majestic. In this context, this is all about a king being kingly, if I can say it that way. This is a king's word. This is all about his kingship. A kingly word which attributes kingliness to our great king. You can't can't miss that. O Yahweh, our Adonai, our king, who radiates with grandeur and dominion and authority and sovereign power, how great is your name in all the earth. having attributed praise to God in verse 1, the first part. Then he says in the second half, you have set your glory in the heavens. This has a double meaning, if you think about it. In one sense, the Lord has set his glory in the heavens in that he made the starry host, and we see the majesty and the glory of the heavens. But In seeing them, we also see the glory of the one who put them there. See? And so the psalmist is kind of telling us both of those things. The majesty of the heavens speaks of an even greater majesty. The one who put them there. Are they impressive? Yes. But your God is way more impressive. That's what the psalmist is saying. The Bible says this in other places, connecting the glory of the heavens and the, and the amazing nature of creation and talking about who God is. Psalm 19.1, for example. The heavens declare the glory of God. Do you know that one? The skies proclaim the work of his hands. In Romans 1, Paul says... What may be known about God is plain, because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. The majesty of the heavens speaks of a greater majesty. Do you understand that? I'll illustrate this with a story. One time when our two boys were little, we made the mistake. No, I shouldn't say this because there might be some campers here. But uh, we went camping in a tent with little kids. It was a little rough. It was the coldest weekend uh, of the summer. Up in Ludington, Michigan. Beautiful, beautiful state park. 
I don't know how many of you have been there, but it's just gorgeous. And so we were camping there, and I love watching the night sky. And so after it got dark one night, I went out and kind of felt my way along the trail that I was going to. And I went to, it was the bridge over a river there. If you've been to the, if you've been to the, um, the park, you, you know exactly where I'm talking about. And so keep in mind, it's pitch black. I get there, and I can tell, I can sense there are people on the bridge. And they're there doing the exact same thing that I'm doing. They're looking up, right? So I get up there, and, you know, I don't want to freak them out. I just say, hi, I'm, I'm here looking at the stars. And so here we are looking at the stars. I can't see them. There was two ladies and me. We didn't know what we looked like because it was pitch black. And I'm standing there looking up, and I couldn't help myself. I said, the heavens declare the glory of God. And from the stars, it was a natural segue to start talking to these ladies about the God that I worship. The God behind the stars. The stars are a natural segue to who God is. And, and that's what the psalmist is doing here. So we're all to be looking up, basically, is what he's doing. And then David continues in verse 2, and he tells us something very particular about this God, this God who makes the heavens. He says something very strange. He looks back down onto the earth, back to reality, and he writes... Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Kind of a strange verse, verse 2. The scene here is a world that's full of enemies. And if you read David, you'll see that every other psalm is enemies this, enemies that, the enemies, the enemies, enemies. We live in a world... Of enemies threatening and blaspheming and raising their fists in rebellion against the rightful authority of the king of the earth. We live in a world of enemies. So what is the Lord going to do to silence these foes, these avengers? Going to use a gun? Is he going to use bombs? How about angels? A mighty legion of angels. Babies. He's going to use babies. That's what the text says. The language here in the NIV does not do justice to how young these children are. The words mean toddler, like someone who can barely walk and barely talk, and nursing infants. Nursing infants, all they can do is maybe babble, maybe eat and sleep, and, well, if you're a parent, you know what else they do. Right? 
The picture here is that God is building a fortress or a bulwark, if you will, of babies who will silence God's enemies once and for all. This is a poetic way. This is poetry, okay? So we need to read this as poetry. This is a poetic way of saying our God is so awesome that he is and, and, and lives in such majesty that ultimately he will subdue all of his enemies with the babbling baby noises of toddlers and nursing infants. This is the God who uses the weak to subdue the strong. And this looks forward to what he's going to say in the second half of the psalm. Then David turns his gaze back skyward. He says in verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, imagine the, like, like a potter making, forming, touching, With your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? You see, when we look at the night sky, we don't think, boy, I'm big. Boy, I'm amazing. We think, man, I'm small. I'm puny. How can I possibly matter? Now, it's helpful here for us to just kind of contemplate the stars, okay? And words fail to do justice to the heavens, so I brought some pictures. And so I want to show you some pictures here. First of all, I want to show you a picture that's called the Hubble Ultra Deep Field, all right? And so how they made this picture was they took the Hubble Space Telescope, which is orbiting the Earth, And they said, I wonder what happens if we pointed the telescope at a nondescript place in the sky that we know nothing about, and then we left it there for a very long time to get a long exposure, just to collect light for a long time. Here's the picture. Those are not stars. Those are galaxies. They never knew those were there. And you could point that telescope in any direction and you would see something like that. And it blew those scientists away. The Hubble deep space field. There's another picture that's amazing. And you have probably seen this. This is a famous picture. Uh, The year was 1968. And Apollo 8 was launched and it was headed to the moon. Their mission was not to land on the moon. They were just going to kind of slingshot around and then come back. They did everything in stages, if you'll recall. And so Frank Borman, James Lovell, William Anders were on that spacecraft. And on their way around the moon, they witnessed not an earth, not a sunrise... Not a moonrise or a sunset or a moonset. 
they witness for the first time in human history on earth rise. Here's that picture. There we are, folks. And there they were. All of humanity hanging there in the blackness of space. Everything that matters back in that little blue ball except for three human beings in a spacecraft. That's amazing. One more picture I want to show you. This picture is called the pale blue dot. Voyager 1, a space probe they sent. It's speeding out of, beginning to go out of our solar system. Okay? With our planets, right? Uh, Beyond Neptune, about 3.7 billion miles from the Earth, the commanders of this little craft commanded it to turn around and look back at Earth and take a picture. So here is that picture. Do you see us? Can you see it? It's pretty hard to see. But there are these bands of sunlight that are in the exposure, and that's Earth from 3.7 million miles from our sun. That's not even outside of our solar system. What is man that, that you matter? What, what are human beings that God cares about us? You see, all of this raises the question, the cheese, if you will, in the sandwich analogy. Verse 4, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Modern science has given us much to ponder about the wonder of our universe and we owe a lot to scientists like uh, the, the amazing, genius, theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking. Many of you know him. He's the gentleman who suffered the debilitating effects of ALS. He was famously quoted as saying, Look up at the stars, not down at your feet. That's good advice for us as we read Psalm 8, isn't, isn't it? But when he looked and he considered the heavens without the benefit of Scripture, here was his conclusion. He said, the human race is just a chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet orbiting around a very average star in the outer suburb of one of a hundred billion galaxies. We are so insignificant that I can't believe the whole universe exists for our benefit. Stephen Hawking. It's not the conclusion of David. That's not the conclusion that our psalmist makes. Look at verse 5. You have made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and honor. You made us rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under our feet. 
All flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and all that swim the paths of the seas. Now, on one level, we are but dust, right? Uh, Genesis 2, you know, God formed us out of the dust of the earth, and then he breathed the breath of life in us. So we could say that humanity is dust plus the breath of life. But we are so much more than that, according to Scripture. Notice he says that you have made us a little lower than the angels. The Hebrew word here translated angels is actually the word Elohim. Elohim means It's used of God himself. In other places, it it talks about gods as in small g, like false gods. And then here, it, it refers to heavenly beings. These are majestic, high, lofty, heavenly beings that surround the throne of God. And the psalmist's point is not that we are way down on the end of the food chain. The psalmist's point is that we are just shy, just shy of the Elohim, of the heavenly beings. In verses 6 through 8, David revisits day 6 of creation. You'll recall that in day 6, Um, David writes in verse 6, You made us rulers over the works of your hands. Before this part in in Genesis 1, you have a very clear statement that you and I have been made in God's image. Unlike anything else in creation, you and I uniquely image God. And that separates us from all the other created order. Why did he give us this? Why did he endow us this way? So that we could function as rulers. Rulers over the earth. You made us rulers over the works of your hands. The word mean, uh, the word to rule here, again, is another kingly word. This is what kings do. They rule over a dominion. Now you notice the pattern that God is a great king and now we're rulers. We're like little kings. The text is saying that God created you and me to exercise royal dominion over the earth as God's representatives. He is the king. But we are little kings. God has vested us with royal authority over all his works. And notice that David even goes so far as to say, this is what the Bible says, that you put all things under our feet. What is mankind That you are mindful of us. 
You have crowned us, Lord, with glory and honor. Verse 6 says. You have crowned us with glory and honor. And oh, by the way, do you know those same words, glory and honor, are used elsewhere in the Psalms to talk about the glory and the honor of God, our King. So he has vested us with an amazing endowment. Where are we going with this? John Calvin, who was a great theologian, could, could put it this way. He could go so far as to say, the world was originally created for this end, that every part of it should tend to the happiness of man as its great object. Human beings are the great object of our creator king. We are at the very center of this drama that's unfolding. Another theologian put it this way. The entire world is a revelation of God. A mirror of his virtues and perfections. Every creature is in his own way and according to his own measure the embodiment of a divine thought. But among all creatures only man is the image of God. The highest and richest revelation of God and therefore head and crown of the entire creation. Another pastor, this is going way back from a sermon preached on May 8th, 1625. Can't believe I was able to dig this up. But he said this, Man is not a piece of the world, but the world himself. And next to the glory of God, the reason why there is a world. You and I are the subjects of a great event. Heavenly, cosmic event that is unfolding. And we are so important that God sent a man, Jesus Christ, who is the man God, right? To come bear our sins, rise from the dead, and guess what? One day, guess who will rule over the earth? Fulfilling the miserable job that we have all done at ruling this world in keeping with the glory of God. This psalm will be fulfilled in us, in in Jesus, the man Jesus. In the future. It takes us from the heights to the depths. It goes from the very beginning of creation all the way to the very consummation of creation. All in nine verses. So, what's this got to do with you? Give me something I can work with, Pastor Tim. How many human beings do we have here today? Would you raise your hand if you're... Okay, not all of you appear to be human beings. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just, you know. I appreciate the, those of you who are. I'm glad this sermon applies to most of you. <laughs> I'm just teasing you. 
You, as a human being, are the crown of the Lord's creation. That is a clear teaching of Scripture. I know what maybe you think about yourself or how you might compare yourself to others or you might feel small inside. Whatever it is that's going on, that's not what the Word of God says. You are the crown of creation. You are the signet ring on God's hand. You are the apple of his eye. You are what scripture says you are. Right? You, you are awesome. You are awesome. So how are we to respond to this? Well, we join in with the psalmist in verse 9. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Again, back to our little, it's getting grosser and grosser as I handle this, but back to our sandwich analogy. We take the outside, the praise, and we look at the inside with the cheese, the question, and we Digest it all together. And, and when, by the time we get to chap, uh, verse 9, this is not mere repetition. We are in a new place. We have come to a new frame of mind about God, creation, and our incredible place in all that God has made. Eugene Peterson, I don't know if you know who he is. He is the translator of the message. He's a great pastor, great interpreter of scripture, great theologian. He has a beautifully concise expression of this psalm. And he writes it this way. He said, in physical size, human beings are midgets. In the grand scheme of the universe... We're barely, barely noticeable, a speck of cosmic dust. In spiritual significance, we are giants. Set in the purposes of God, the creator of heaven and earth, we are gloriously majestic. And then he suggests a prayer, and I'm going to close our time with this prayer. That he suggests, okay? So let's close our time in prayer. And let me pray this beautiful prayer that Eugene Peterson wrote. Lord, we look at the skies and are humbled. We are such a minute speck in your creation. Then... We listen to your word and are exalted. We are honored children. How majestic is thy name in all the earth. Amen.